and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Sean Boyce. I'm the host. I'd like to welcome my guest to the show today, Julie Sowash, who is the Executive Director of Disability Solutions and the co-host of the Crazy and the King podcast. Hello, Julie. How are you? And thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Sean. It's uh, great to meet you. Likewise, and very excited to talk more about driving and scaling impact with the work that you do. Before we dive in, it would probably be great for our audience to know a little bit more about your background. So can you describe for us kind of how you got to where you are today? Uh, yeah, so my background is really in, it's a complicated background, so I'll try to give you the 30-second overview. So uh, I really started kind of my career in the Office of Medicaid for the state of Indiana, uh, where I worked on a federal grant to help overcome barriers to employment for people with disabilities called the Medicaid Infrastructure Grant. And through that work, uh, built a five-year strategic plan for the state of Indiana to impact uh, employment levels for people with disabilities in our state. Um, and through that work, I really got introduced to the world of um, affirmative action compliance and helping several companies sort of build out those business models, as well as helping them uh, identify how to better engage with our community, the disability community. Uh, and from there, got connected through our current uh, work and got started, you know, with Pepsi and, and really have been building from there. So it's kind of really one simple step has led to another simple step that's really offered me or afforded me this amazing opportunity to lead disability solutions. And I want to thank you for sharing those details. And I, I want to get into a little bit more of that detail in particular, the Pepsi story was very interesting. I know you and I have talked about that before, and I want to give you a chance to describe it. But um, before we get into talking about that story, can you talk more about kind of the impact in terms of uh, the work that your organization does and your team and things like that? Like what does, not just how do you drive impact today, but also what does impact mean to you? Yeah, so I, I literally have the coolest job on the planet. I, I don't think I could ever find something that would make me happier than than what we've built here at Disability Solutions. So we are a division of a large nonprofit based out of Connecticut and New York called Ability Beyond. And um, we work with companies around the world to help them drive strategy, selection, optimization, employer brand, um, and sourcing and recruiting for talent with disabilities. And also then to help create a culture where people with disabilities uh, are able to be successful, grow, and, and be you know, their full selves at the organizations that we work with. Um, so we've helped over the past 10 years, uh, more than 5,000 people get to work. Uh, we've trained over 10,000 people leaders in removing fear and stigma for people with disabilities. Um, we're currently working on an amazing project with Bristol-Myers Squibb um, to help drive um, inclusion of people with disabilities in clinical trials that really started through their um, employee resource group. So sort of organically came out of that work. Um, and then um, the other really cool part is, is that because companies pay us um, to help them build these systems, maintain them and do direct sourcing and recruiting, um, not only do we get to do all of those really cool things and get people to work and help build sustainable infrastructure within the organizations, but the money that then is left over goes back to our parent organization, Ability Beyond, to support people with very significant disabilities who may or may not be able to work but are also in residential programs, day programs, have transportation needs, other employment services. And so we really get to help the community in a dual way. Um, we get to sort of break down the 
notions and the stereotypes that people with disabilities can't be successful next to you, you know, as an able-bodied person as you're working. Um, and then we also get to support the philanthropic arm of, of our charity um, and our community that definitely needs that support in areas where we know as, as nonprofit leaders, the funding infrastructure is changing constantly. Well said, and that certainly sounds like a very cool job. So I would totally agree <laughs> with you there. Um, next, I'd love to kind of get into that story where you started helping the Pepsi organization in terms of um, fulfilling this mission. And then things sounds like that helped quite a bit with um, building momentum and then growing from mm -hmm. there. So I'd love to hear you tell that story again. Yeah, absolutely. So um, as I mentioned, I was in the sort of the compliance world, affirmative action world for several years, and I had helped Ability Beyond, our, again, our parent company, uh, just put a grant together. They needed someone to come in, pop in, write it really quick, turn it around. No problem. I did that. Didn't really think that much of it. Uh, and about six months after that, they called the CEO at the time, called and said, hey, Julie, Pepsi has been on our board of directors for years, and they've come to us and said, you know, what? we figured out how to hire um, a lot of other underrepresented populations in our you know, hiring process, but we're really struggling to figure out the unlock on how to hire people with disabilities. Uh, if, if we pay for it, will you build it for us? And uh, he called me with that proposition, and there's literally no way <laughs> you say no to that. Um, and so, you know, really that began the first five years of what is now Disability Solutions, um, just working hand in hand uh, with Pepsi to figure out what this looks like. How does how does it live in systems? I think, you know, as as nonprofit leaders and I'm speaking from the disability perspective, we tend to not think about how we can build things within businesses. We think about things as, as set-asides, as, as othering, um, and that doesn't create a system where people with disabilities are able to get work in, in an efficient way and get through those processes. So we really dove into the TA technology, the town acquisition technology, excuse me, the hiring policies, the data management techniques, all of those pieces around how do I learn about a job? So what is my first day on the job? And making sure that we could understand that end to end. And then we could go back with our partners at Pepsi and say, let's look at the data, right? Where are we seeing people are being hired? Where do we see that we have more opportunity to increase the pipeline of talent with disabilities in these steps? And then of course, on the other side, you know, once someone gets hired, we wanna know how they're doing. Um, you know, what, what are we doing in terms of, are we making good decisions about the hiring? Are we hiring for the right reasons? All of those things. And are people staying as long or longer than people in the general employee population? And what we found is yes, that when we provide opportunity through the existing employment process for a Pepsi, um, that people with disabilities, when provided the opportunity, are able to move through those processes and get hired and that they do stay. And in most that most times they stay longer um, and, and are really, really productive at the same or, or higher levels than general employees. Such an incredible story. And it sounds like it really, you know, the momentum grown from there is significant. So thank you for sharing that. And yeah. I think towards the tail end of that, you started to describe some of what was going through my mind as well, too, in terms of what I think another good question would be. And that's, what are some of the misconceptions that people have versus the reality when they think about, you know, hiring people with disabilities? You know, I have so much expertise here. I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about that so we can help people better yeah. understand it. Absolutely. And, and really there are. I mean, I think we're, you know, 
coming a long way and we've come a long way in the past 10 years. I'm, I'm sort of amazed at sort of the differences that we're starting to see and employers really starting to get it. We still have a long way to go. Um, but I think that, you know, the first thing that we think about is that we don't really think of people with disabilities as fully human. We kind of think of them as partially human because we're not able to do one thing or another um, that's like an able-bodied person. Um, and we also think about disabilities in only the ways that we can see them. So I'm a person who has multiple disabilities, they're hidden disabilities, and you would never know that unless I disclose that disability to you. And so when people are thinking, when companies are thinking about people with disabilities, they're not thinking about the full spectrum, right? About 31 million Americans um, are people with disabilities who are working age. And about 20% of, of, of us um, also identify as professionals. And as we see mental health crises grow constantly in our country, especially in a post-pandemic world, more people are recognizing that mental health is and mental illness is a real um, part of the disability community. It's a real part of the employment conversation and that by paying attention and acknowledging that those mental illness, that hidden disabilities are real and that they are impactful to people's lives, um, then they can make better employment decisions and they can remove some of that bias. So we just wanna help people think about our community as fully human, fully capable, um, whether we get there in a different way or we process in a different way, um, we can get there. And just because I have a disability and I'm doing the same job as you, that isn't about you. It doesn't speak to where you should be or what you should be doing. It's really just about creating an opportunity for me to have the same level of success as someone else. And so, you know, those are the, the big things um, just about what people are capable of. And I think that, you know, our numbers alone and the retention numbers show that people with disabilities are capable of much greater things um, than, than what the expectations have been set. I think as nonprofit leaders um, who are driven by philanthropic goals and charitable goals, um, which is an important part of our community, but from an employment perspective, we shouldn't be talking in charitable. We should be talking in strategy and people value and talent value. And we've done a really bad job of that as a community um, to more just saying, hey, give Joe a job. Joe needs a job. Don't you feel bad for Joe? That's not an employment strategy. That's not a talent strategy. And that just uh, creates the cycle of low expectations within our community and, and without it. That's excellent context and very informative as well, too. Thank you for sharing that. You started to allude to this a little bit as well, too, but I'd love for you to talk specifically about this component, because I'm sure others have those questions as well, too, in terms of you know, what does, how are, you, how are you quantifying the impact that you're driving as the executive director of disability solutions? And then what does that performance look like so far in terms of what you have been able to achieve? Uh, follow up questions from there, but let's start there. Yeah. So it really in three ways. Um, one is, are, are we monetizing and are we giving money back to the parent organization? That's the first thing I have to act like a business. I get to function a lot like a startup, which is really, really fun, except for I know that the lights are always going to stay on and, and our paychecks are always going to show up because of our parent company at Ability Beyond. When we want to make sure that we are giving money back to the parent agency, um, we want to make sure that we are growing the number of hires 
um, people that are getting hired through our employers. We want to make sure that we are growing the number of people leaders. And we also want to make sure that we are focusing on um, new acquisition in terms of new company acquisition and maintaining a, a high percentage renewal rate. Um, and, and I kind of set a bar um, for us against the general talent acquisition vendor community. So an applicant tracking system, a CRM, a chatbot, all of those things, right? We want to I want to think of us not in, as a nonprofit. I want to think about how do we live in a vendor system that companies are um, comfortable with, that they trust, that they're used to using, and get us at a price point where um, that renewal is easy to do. And the last thing that we make sure and, and we have as a as a sort of driver, as a, as a team, is that any product or solution that we build or implement will never make getting a job harder for a person. And so what you'll, again, you'll kind of see is that a lot of times um, people, organizations, they want to put additional barriers. You have to apply and set up in this account. You have to use this software. You have to do all of these extra steps. My job is to remove those barriers. And so as long as anything that we're putting in place does not add any extra barrier to employment and actually eases that barrier to employment, then we're doing the right thing. I love the way you broke that down and structured it. It makes it very easy to understand you know, the mission, what the results are, and you're keeping that in focus as well, too. You brought up another topic, which is very interesting. I know you and I talked about that before as well, too, and that's the running like a business aspect, which is a subcategory that I've talked about quite a bit which I think some nonprofit organizations have leveraged with great success and thinking differently than maybe what a typical paradigm or what that may have been in the past in terms of how nonprofits are kind of intended or expected to operate and why, you know, running them like almost like for-profit, not, not for-profit, but almost like a for-profit business operates can be advantageous to the mission and sustain, Absolutely. you know, sustainability of the organization. So I'd love to hear you talk about that a little bit more because I believe that's part of um, some of the your belief system as well too, and you've been able to leverage that with greater success. So I think other organizations can learn from you there as well too. So I'd love to hear your take. Yeah, absolutely, and and it is critical. I mean, we um, with Disability Solutions again. You know, our parent company has a board of directors. They're all focused on um, you know driving the philanthropic, the donations, the you know state and and federal funding systems. I have a separate kind of subcommittee or a committee that works directly with me that's more made up of business leaders, business leaders who have sales experience, who have, um, you know, finance experience, who have sort of the pieces that I need as a startup leader to make sure that I'm thinking like a CEO and I'm not thinking like um, a, a charity or a, a philanthropic organization. That's and then, you know, my PL stands on its own as well. So I don't have, I can't think of myself as having other funding come in. I need to make sure that I'm in the black all of the time and be responsible for my commitment back to the agency. So that means that we have to be able to be agile. We have to be able to um, create solution sets that are needed by the market. And then we really work a lot on embracing technology and using technology to create efficiencies to make sure that we are not too people heavy 
And that where we are people heavy, we're focused on relationships, getting people to work, um, you know, driving additional business, that kind of thing. It's not doing things that can easily be automated, that can easily go through workflows. And that's been um, that's been a bit a big challenge, but a big reward for us um, that focus on technology and, and leveraging that technology and just making sure that we are um measuring margins and all of those things on a PL like you would as any other business. And I mean, no joke, my CFO laughs at me because I have my PL down to plus or minus, you know, two or three thousand dollars every quarter. Um, and I know well before anyone else does exactly where we've landed for the year um, because I am so dedicated to making sure that we are building smartly, we're growing smartly, and that we've got good margins on our solutions so that we are getting that back. And then every place we can focus on efficiency through the use of technology is critical. I think that vision is really important to reiterate. And doing so as fiscally responsibly as you can and managing it in that way essentially maximizes your ability to be able to sustain operations especially at scale so as you're talking about greater scale that comes with it its own unique challenges and considerations as well too but there are far too many stories of nonprofit organizations and people trying to do great work or doing great work in the nonprofit sector whose mission has either fallen short or collapsed entirely because it just wasn't sustainable or they weren't unable to scale efficiently so that is a really, really important point in terms of something that I love talking about on the show. So thank you for sharing that perspective. It's so critically important. I'd also love to hear you talk more about how you've been able to leverage technology as well, too, because I think, you know, in, in the area where I do a lot of my work, which is here, is technology used the right way can make everything more impactful that you're doing, but you got to use it the right way. So I'd love to hear more about how your organization is leveraging it. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is in our outreach um, mechanisms. So we use a, a HubSpot as our CRM. Um, we use it to automate emails out to about 10,000 community-based organizations around the world to make sure that um, we're using um, different uh, metrics, excuse me, to make sure that we're getting good response rates that we are, you know, having good conversations as a follow-up to those. We have all of those pieces um, and automations and workflows so that then my team who manages all of our community-based relationships doesn't have to worry about sending emails. They're worried about having calls, having job seeker webinars, doing those, in, you know, engagements with other nonprofits who work to get people with disabilities jobs to help them understand what the unlock is between apply and hire. That's really where we should be focusing our people piece, right? Um, we also have um, a lot of automation around our invoicing systems, all of the pieces, anything that I can automate um, is really been automated, um, including a lot of our sales process. Uh, we've been you know, working on growing that portion of our business over the last couple of years. And so getting a, a sales process in place through the use of technology has been a critical win. And it's one that Dear God, it was so hard <laughs> as, as a nonprofit. That was the piece that took us the longest because we're not, not a salesperson. Um, and so I think one lesson that I learned that if I could like convey to anyone else that's in sort of that startup program feel is recognize when you when you need to be scrappy and recognize when you need an expert. 
right? And so the big thing for us is we knew we needed to put technology into place. And I wasted probably two years trying to get that technology and process into place without the expertise to save a few bucks. And what I did was lose a lot of time and a lot of opportunity. And eventually I had to stop and say, you know what? I'm not doing anyone a service by thinking that I have the expertise to do this. I need to spend a little bit more money now to hire that sales leader, that marketing automation person, so that I can get a system that's up and running in a functional way. And I think that as nonprofit leaders, we tend to empower our people to um, break things, right? Build it, figure it out, do it. Um, And what we should be empowering them to do is build what you can and recognize what you can't build because there are pieces of, of our business structure that I don't have the capacity to build. And I need experts to do that. And being willing to say that as a nonprofit leader seems to be very challenging um, when we need to ask for that help. So I've gone a kind of a, a few different directions, but really um, a lot around marketing, a lot around all of our finance pieces, all of those pieces are automated. Um, outreach has been automated. Our advertising solutions for our, our clients who advertise their jobs and our job board is all automated. Nothing is manually posted. We don't require anyone to um, engage with us to get directly to the company that's hiring. We put all of those processes directly where they go, which is with the business who needs to own that candidate pool in the first place. And then in the last year too, we've also automated our reporting. So our performance reporting was always very manual. We've automated that through Google Data Studio and through API connections. And and then we are also in process of um, automating not automating, that's not the right word. We've built a learning management system so that companies who usually do live trainings with us, especially during the pandemic, we started delivering those a lot of times via webinar, that kind of thing, which is great. Um, But we know that we have um, the opportunity to have individual licenses so that companies can purchase those and use them um, at their own leisure on a seat per seat basis, um, which again, opens up a lot of opportunity in terms of who are, in terms of our team and who they can impact and who they can engage with after that training is finished. It's very impressive. Um, Being the tech geek that I am, I'm very excited Mm -hmm. listening to you describe all of the amazing accomplishments that you've been capable of through technology and increasing really the leverage and the efficiency of your organization, which will continue to pay dividends over time as you grow and scale from here. I think it's a very astute observation to recognize the fact that maybe larger investments into technology earlier really pays off much more so over time, right? So figuring out when to make those investments, that's a key observation that can really unlock leverage and scale at a level of efficiency that previously wouldn't have been available to you. So it might on paper look like, right, in terms of going back and forth between these different strategies, but if you're not thinking about it purely from the perspective of an inve- uh, from an expense, but an investment, that investment can pay off over time in many ways, right? Especially if you're talking about automation, which is something that I've done a lot of as well too. Is automate a number of these things; it improves the accuracy and it makes the cost to operate them over time significantly lower. Plus the speed, there's just there's so many levers there, which gives you a lot of time back and you can't get more time. So in terms of most critical resources, most of the time that ends up being the biggest. So absolutely well said there. 
Yeah. So, I mean, just as, as a point, I guess a little brag on, on us, um, you know, when we were Pepsi, uh, just Pepsi at the beginning, there were three of us doing implementation. Um, there are now four and a half and we've got 70 companies that we're working with. So if you think about that sort of scale, that's what we've been able to do by focusing on products that are easily, solutions that are easily implementable, um, that have good outcomes and that can be scaled and, and very kind of um, repetitious and made efficient. And we have an 85% renewal rate um, from year to year. And we've grown about 185% each of the last three years um, from a, from a uh, revenue perspective. So really it, it, that unlock was the biggest lesson that, that I could have learned. It's incredible. And congratulations on an amazing level of performance, which is kind of where I was going to go next. What are your plans to kind of grow and scale from here? And you know, love to hear you talk a little bit more about those details. Yeah, so it, it's a really good question. So what we do is about three, year, three years ago, let me put it this way, um, we were really struggling and to, to get the sales functionality right. And we made a decision to hire a sales director. We solidified the solution line. And I said, we won't change these core set of solutions for at least the next two years. This is what we're selling this is what it is. Um, and we really worked and focused on that piece, getting those um, the, the sales process down and making sure that everyone knew exactly what the solutions were, exactly what was going to get implemented and what was expected. And then once we had that stability in the product set, that's where we really started to be able to work on efficiencies and to be able to focus that time on making sure that the delivery of the solution was solid instead of feeling before like we were always just sort of making it up as we went along. So that was a big piece. And so whenever we build any other solution, um, I have about an 18 month window that I know is like sort of this is, and hopefully it will get faster as, as I get better at it. Um, but that this is how long I need to let things run till I really start to see the monetization of it in a re and decide, can this continue to scale for us? I have to recognize that because of our size, um, we, it does take a little bit longer to get that product out to, to monetization. Um, but where I've been patient about that and been, um, had the ability to make those little tweaks that get us, you know, get our go-to-market ready that actually make, um, get our case studies done, all of those things, then we see that monetization start to flow. And if it doesn't, then I know that's sort of my time period of saying, okay, have we, have we gone through this checklist on our, on our go-to-market it's not there. It's not for us or it is. That's been a really successful strategy for us. Um, and so, you know, right now we've just launched our learning management system in uh, April of this year. So we're kind of starting down that path towards monetization there. Um, we're really looking at rolling out universal design solution that helps companies understand how to build um, inclusive infrastructure to make sure that people with disabilities who go into the office or don't go into the office are in included and can be successful without having to ask for the accommodation in 99% of the cases, but you know, making it sort of more um, a, a clear kind of set of expectations around how people function in the organization. Um, and those are the really the two that we're focused on right now, as well as you know, we've we've always had a 
a, a portion of our monetization that's really been around the big consulting projects, the, the Pepsis, the Frito-Lays, the Bristol-Myers of the world. And I see that that piece of the business kind of maintaining at its current levels, but we'll really focus, especially, you know, economically, we have to think about um, when a downturn is going to hit. And so we're really focused on those solutions that are, you know, the five to $25,000 annual recurring revenue, monthly recurring revenue type of solutions um, and getting in everyone's budget and staying there. And that's really, I think, our focus. Um, it, we've also done some things around programmatic advertising that are monetizing for us very well that have been important. And why that works for us versus another nonprofit down the street is because we've taken the time to understand that we're part of the talent acquisition industry. We're not part of the nonprofit world in the way that we think about doing our business. We look at what's happening in talent acquisition and what are things that fit into our niche? Where can we deliver within that existing infrastructure to give the market a product that it is going to easily understand, that's going to be efficient, and is going to be at a cost point that's good for them, that's easy for them to say yes. And then we deliver great results. I love that the fact that your vision here isn't just like volume oriented, it's achievement, it's still mission and purpose also through the lens of your client as well too. So what is going to matter most for them and uh, continuing to build momentum in the right direction. So it sounds like a lot of exciting progress is on the horizon. And we want to continue to have you tell that story on this show as much as possible as well, too. I definitely want to thank you for being here and sharing your mission, your vision, all the amazing accomplishments that your organization has done and your team has been capable of thus far. Uh, the world so desperately needs it. So please continue uh, with your amazing work and we will help support in any way that we can. In addition to a couple of questions I have for you before we let you go. The first is where can listeners or any folks that's tuning into the show go to learn more about your organization and any way that they may be able to get involved and help? Yeah, absolutely. So our website is disabilitytalent.org, disabilitytalent.org. So you can learn about us there. Um, you can find me at Julie Sowash, so S-O-W-A-S-H, Sowash, um, on any of the socials, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all of them um, there. And you can also follow our organization on all of those platforms as well. Um, and, you know, we are always looking for um, companies, you know, HR leader, talent acquisition leaders who want to start making impact with us. Our motto is changing minds and changing lives. Uh, we're always looking for leaders with uh, business and talent acquisition experience as well to join our steering committee and to provide guidance and expertise on how we continue to grow and, and monetize this organization to impact our parent company. Um, and then, you know, just uh, follow me on Crazy and the King and you can learn more about our DEIB efforts with my friend Tornellis. Thank you, Julie. I really appreciate you being here and sharing your story and mission. We will include all of those details as well too in the show notes or for anyone's looking for more details, please go there to learn more. Thank you for listening to this episode of Scaling Impact. I hope you got a ton of value out of it. If you'd like to learn how to scale impact at your nonprofit organization by more than double and less than half the time, 
and encourage you to sign up for my free five-day email course at nextstep.io forward slash impact. That's nextstep.io, N-X-T-S-T-E-P.io forward slash impact.